I am Dao, I'm a visual artist and I paint ideas at the intersection of art, technology and business. And this is I Paint Ideas Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the I Paint Ideas Podcast. I am still working on my leadership collection and there are quite a few paintings that I still want to do. So today I want to continue my exploration into leadership and dive into the topic of how do we deal with difficult, abrasive leaders. I know I had a pleasure or (laughs) displeasure of dealing with people like that over the years. I'm sure you did too. So today I want to talk to my dear friend, Dr. Katrina Borus, about this very topic because Dr. Katrina has been an executive leadership coach for over 25 years She's the founder of Excellent Executive Coaching, and she's known for fast-tracking leaders into C-suite and beyond, and for transforming brilliant jerks into inspiring leaders. One of her distinctive capabilities is her ability to work with teams and leaders of different cultural backgrounds. She even coaches in three different languages, and she has a proven track record of working with multinational organizations like Nestle, Novartis, United Nations, and many others. She often speaks on the topic of leadership. Both her speaking and her coaching have taken her to Asia, all over Europe, here to the United States, and her latest book, Managing Brilliant Jerks, is the roadmap for organizations and coaches on how to transform difficult leaders into powerful visionaries. Most of us will choose not to deal with difficult people, but I'm going to call Dr. Katrina, find out how it's done, and I'm going to be on a lookout for inspiration, ideas that I can take into the art studio and transform them into some powerful artwork. Let's do it. Dr. Katrina. Hello, Gorna. You look so fabulous in your studio gear. I know you guys can see her. But Dr. Katrina um, is also a podcaster, which I didn't mention in the intro. Her podcast is Excellent Executive Coaching, and she also has a TV show, Inspiring Leaders Everywhere. Yes, podcasting is definitely one of my passions, and it's delighted to be on your show, Gorna, my artist friend. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I always think of myself as an artist trapped in nerd's mind. So I think that explains a few things. And I'm really grateful to have some time with you to talk shop, to talk about leadership and your work, especially about these abrasive, difficult personalities in leadership positions. And for somebody like me, an artist who is trying to translate these ideas into artwork, it's interesting for me to hear your take on abrasive, difficult leaders over the course of 25 years of coaching them? Yes. So I call them affectionately brilliant jerks because they are, they have such a high IQ usually, uh, but they're emotionally blind. You know, like you drive a car, you see 2020, but you have to turn to see at the side. Uh, Well, that's what the coaching process does. It's uh, you leverage their 2020, but then put light on their blind spot so that they can transform into a brilliant and inspiring leader. Yes. And I have your book here, Managing Brilliant Jerks. Yes. It's 
a brilliant title, if you ask me, and it's a brilliant book about how organizations and other leadership coaches can transform difficult leaders into powerful visionaries. And I'm curious what led you to specialize in helping brilliant jerks. Yes, that's right. But, uh, you know, my parents divorced when I was five years old. And uh, my stepfather was a big husky guy. And I was terrified of him. But at the same time, I yearned to have his attention. I felt I was invisible. And I was invisible indeed for several years. And one, my mother, she, she was so happy to have a girl after four boys that she made me feel that the world was my playground. And one day after shopping downtown, she came back with a a box for me. And she said, here, my daughter, here's for you. And I said, oh, thank you. And I opened up the, the box as quickly as I could. And oh, I saw beautiful silver boots. Now I was 12 years old and I thought, oh my, that's a big girl present. So I thought, oh, I can impress my stepfather with these beautiful boots. So what did I do? I took them out put them on and rushed to his office and said, Papa, Papa, look at my beautiful boots. <sighs> Thinking finally he would pay attention. He turned around. Ah, you look like a prostitute. Oh, I felt disempowered, confused, disheartened, and, and totally useless. So, Many years later, many years later, I understood my stepfather that in his intent was to prevent me from growing up precociously, looking like a 20-year-old when I was only 12 at the time. But the way he said it, it was devastating. So later on, 25 years later in my business, I realized that there were a lot of these profiles. In fact, let me give you a few facts. You know that 75% of successful leaders have had at least one intolerable boss. That means three out of four of us will have an intolerable boss. And then the Gallup study said, you know, people choose a company, but leave because of a bad boss. So the problem is large. And so I've made it my expertise and my mission to help these brilliant jerks that I say affectionately uh, to become inspiring, to use their brilliance for a more positive way. Oh, wow. I didn't realize the statistics were actually that high. I was mentioning in the intro that, you know, we all known somebody or came across, you know, a brilliant jerk or two along the way, I didn't realize that the statistics were that high. Let me ask you this. How do you know that you're dealing with a brilliant jerk, somebody who is super smart, but abrasive versus a demanding boss? That's an excellent question, Gordna. So there's a big difference. Uh, the brilliant jerk feels if his employee comes to him and he hasn't succeeded, and tells the boss, he's going to kill the messenger. Why? He feels threatened in his own inability and attacks in the fight mode because he feels threatened. Now, the demanding boss with high standards 
sees the same employee come to him that hasn't succeeded and has self-control, is not triggered like the brilliant jerk. He looks at the situation and sees, okay, is this person not able to do it because he doesn't have enough expertise or he doesn't understand the job or he needs a mentor or he needs to have smaller pieces. But his intent is that the person succeeds. Or he can say, no, it's a motivation issue. This person is not motivated. So therefore, he'll change his leadership style and have a heart-to-heart discussion to get the bottom of this. See, so he has leadership agility. But what to remember is how you feel after an interaction with them. We can all be brilliant jerks at times, but it's the continual destructive behavior that grinds on people's personal self-confidence. Oh, that's so interesting to gauge that interaction or, or to gauge who you're dealing with by how you feel after the interaction. That's really interesting. What do you think causes really smart people to act like jerks? Well, let me give you an example. Okay, so um, I have a client. Let's let's call her Mary. That's not her name, but let's call her Mary. Now, she had an older brother and uh, grew up in a uh, sort of an immigrant family, and they really want to succeed socially. And they put a huge amount of pressure on the eldest son to succeed, to achieve things in life, to be recognized as having being socially acceptable. And this went on for years until finally the eldest son couldn't stand it and said, I can't stand this pressure. He didn't quite say that. But he left and started to breed animals in the farm, isolated. Well, what happened to the younger sister? Her brother was not there. Well, all of a sudden, she was an average school uh, uh, grade. She had average school grades. But suddenly she saw the sun. She could get some of the lights from her parents, you know, some of the recognition from her parents. And she rose to the occasion and started outperforming. Well, later on in the business world, well, she continued. She was only as good as what she achieved. That's a lot of pressure. Oh, that's interesting as well. So sounds like a lot of it comes from just early childhood programming interaction between children and parents, right? Like as parents, it sounds to me like we need to take note of this and not create these conditions with our children to where they would become brilliant jerks later on in life. Yes, there is a lot of that comes from, you know, parents love their children for who they are and for what they do. Well, let's say if you have a tremendous pressure on a child to only receive recognition when they achieve, that means that they're only as good as what they've just achieved. It's a lot of pressure. And it's understandably that they, they feel in some ways threatened if they don't achieve And even if somebody else doesn't achieve that reports to them, they take it personally. So status becomes really important. Recognition really is important to them. You know, some, you have to also want to be loved uh, and have recognition. I'll give you another example. My 
dear client, Marie. So um, she was so anxious whether people would perform. So she delegated a job, she said, Gorna, please do this. In a week, I'll come back. Well, okay. That afternoon, she comes back to Gorna. How are you doing? What are you doing? Show me what you've done. Okay. So you try to say, I'm not quite finished. She comes back the next day. Ask Gorna, how is it coming? So at the end, the person is so stressed that they whip something together that's average, send it in, and just want her out from her back. You see? And at the end, they they sent her emails even though her office was next door. Oh, if that was happening to me, I think I would just hate it. I would just hate it. I don't think I can last there. Like you were saying earlier, you know, people people leave because they have bad bosses. But she was she was anxious that she wasn't going to perform. Others on the team, others in the organization may look at her and say, "Okay, she climbed the ladder. She's in a powerful position. She's behaving this way. So I'm going to do the same thing in hopes that they get promoted or they move up the ladder, so to speak. Yes, very good point. Absolutely. Now she rose through the pecking order, up the ranks into a very prestigious position. And so the risk with that is they say, oh, she behaves like that and she went up the ranks. Is that, should I emulate that to get ahead? And then, of course, the virus spreads throughout the organization. Oh, totally. I can see that happening. And I can also see that some people would want to excuse that behavior as well. Oh, exactly. Yes. So, you know, some like a heart surgeon that was research in the U.S. to come to this particular hospital. And finally, they have him. But he has terrible bedside manners. Okay. And he's been having terrible bedside manners. All the nurses don't want to work with him. And this has lasted for 15 years. How how does it happen? Because people say, well, we're afraid if we say something, he leaves or oh, um, it's, you know, he's making people more productive. So that's probably the cost of this turnaround or he's going through a divorce. So they excuse the behavior so, so they don't have to confront him. So to, to stop it spreading throughout the organization, you need to nip it in the bud, confront people with it and have consequences. So how do you go about breaking that cycle? Uh, well, there's a, to transform a brilliant jerk into an inspiring leader, uh, I have a, a process that's first self-awareness uh, so that the person learns about how they think, what they do and all that. Then it goes to boss awareness. So that's the first step to empathize. Try to understand your boss and they're motivated because the boss has an impact on their career. So what they've learned in the self-awareness, they now apply it to the boss awareness. But it's not because that the boss is, they're aware of the boss, that they have the leadership flexibility to change their behavior with every stakeholder. 
So then we go to the next level of complexity and we do research. I do research work for them. Exactly what they do that gives the impression they're abrasive. Give you an example. Let's go back to Mary. Okay. She was walking with her friend after lunch and they had a wonderful lunch and they were chit-chatting and having fun and someone comes up running up to them and says hey the big boss from new york is here you got to go in the meeting so both of them they go walking sit down and uh indeed it was the big big boss what does mary do well her friend was talking and explaining what she was doing and Mary stepped in, tore, tore down everything that her friend said uh, to look better in the eyes of the big boss, how she was more intelligent, while she was more erudite. And then she comes out of the meeting, distressed, calls me up and says, Katrina, I just couldn't help myself. You see this desire for recognition, how strong it is? So there is a point with stakeholder awareness where I bring them back research, where they're aware of it, but they don't know how to change. So there's a very important step, and that is engaging and executing new behaviors. Because I've had a client, before I met him, receive five years in a row that his behavior was his direct reports were, were atrocious. Did he change? No. So basically, awareness is one, stakeholder awareness is one, but then they have to execute and be strategic and more understanding of the other person and the other circumstance to adapt their leadership. So that process is very important. Not only stakeholder awareness, but execute new behaviors and be more strategic. Just because you know something doesn't mean you're going to do anything about it. So when you're working with your clients and you're helping brilliant jerks, how do you make them change their behavior? Well, the coaching is necessary to follow them through and create insights while they're going through the trying new behaviors and expanding their thinking. Because remember, they have that blind spot. So every time they are frustrated with a reaction or a return, say, well, what could that have been? Think that's your first reaction, but what else could have happened? And you just keep putting that light to develop their interpersonal intelligence and use their IQ to develop their EQ. Oh, I love that. EQ plus IQ, adding EQ to their IQ. I think there is a painting coming. So what kind of results do you see in your clients when they successfully add EQ to their IQ? Well, Mary, to come back to her, well, she, after a year, was selected as the candidate of the best leader of the year by the very people that couldn't take her. So that was a wonderful success. Another uh, Chinese person that was working for a multinational Swiss organization, once he got the feedback and realized that he had to be a little more abrasive, contrary, uh, to succeed, because I'll give you the, another example. He, they, they hesitated. This was uh, 
a big company you all know, they hesitated to promote him. He had a Chinese attribute, which was, you don't interrupt people, that's really rude. Okay. And here he was with Westerners that position themselves, talk out of keeping, interrupt, and he stepped back. Well, that, that really uh, limited his career because he wasn't perceived as a leader. And once that really good feedback that you bring back to the, the brilliant jerk, in this case, he wasn't a brilliant jerk, uh, but that is such an enlightenment that he realized what he needed to work on and he was promoted. So I'll give you, that's one example of, of Mary, the brilliant jerk, and the another example of even another person that can really benefit from this kind of feedback. Oh, wow. That is a big turnaround. If people listening wanted to get those types of results for themselves in their organization, where can they find you? Well, I, I offer a free discovery session at Excellent Executive Coaching, and you will see, uh, .com, you will see that you can contact me for what's your next best move. And uh, if you have, have a brilliant jerk as a boss, what's the things you can do? And if you are, are someone that is brilliant, really, I would need to, to emphasize brilliant, but have been told that they could improve their interpersonal skills, let's have a talk. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Very generous of you. I'm going to make sure that we put link in our show notes. You can go to ipaintideaspod.com under leadership collection. You'll find Dr. Katrina's episode and that's where you'll find the link to her free discovery session. I think that's really generous of you, Dr. Katrina, to offer that. And if you have been told that you need to work on your interpersonal skills. If you have somebody on your team who you wish was a little bit less abrasive, send them over. ipaintideaspod.com under leadership collection. So, all right. I've been thinking. Like the wheels are churning. And I think this EQ plus IQ is a brilliant idea. I love how you describe this evolution from somebody who is brilliant but abrasive to somebody who is a pleasure to work with, you know, starting from, you know, self-awareness and then empathizing with the boss and then working through stakeholder um, research and understanding how other people see you and, you know, practicing this new behavior and at the end of the day, finding the way to integrate EQ and IQ, because both are important. Yes, absolutely. These people that I'm talking about are absolutely have strong IQ, even more so than most, and are very impatient with people that don't, don't um, think as quickly as they do. And they think often that it's because they're stupid or they don't want to work or whatever. So they need to realize that they have high IQ. And uh, the EQ is how to handle that, how to look beyond their self-interest to the betterment of the organization to the betterment and develop their successor. Even business-wise, it makes total sense. They need to develop competencies of the other people. 
Well, the brilliant jerk is too focused on what they want to develop a good successor. Yeah, that makes total sense. Thank you so much, Dr. Katrina, for spending some time with me. This conversation was so inspirational. I can't wait to get in the studio and work on this new painting. Thank you, Gorna. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, what a nerd in, no, what did you say? A creative person in a nerd's body. Oh, yeah. An artist trapped in nerd's mind. Yeah, for sure. That, that's how I think of myself. And it's been like that since, I don't know, I think like high school that I start telling people that because it was, it started as a joke, really, to say it's really hard to be in my head or live in my head. It's not easy to be me kind of thing. And it was like self-deprecating in a way and, and, and a joke. But it's really true. I mean, it does, uh, you know, depict who I am <laughs> very succinctly. You know, there is, there is a creative person trying to reach escape velocity from this super organized, systematized, logical nerd that I am. And that's why I do all these things before I paint to, you know, to learn about the ideas, to really understand it intellectually. And that's why I ask questions and research and interview people and meditate and spend time thinking about it and build 3D models. And I don't know, I just do a lot of things before I get to the canvas for that reason. And I think the artist, the creative really benefits from that at the end. Honestly, I can't wait to go into the studio and start exploring visually EQ plus IQ. I think it's, it's such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Thank you so much for that inspiration. Thank you for being here and sharing all your work with me as well. Yes, and uh, I'm dying to see it. And I purchased your art, so I love it. Thank you so much. Yes, I will definitely show it to you as soon as I make it. Even before it dries, you will see it. Thank you so much for the inspiration. Okay, thank you. That's all for today. Until next time, stay inspired, keep creating, and I'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,